In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the lessons learned from the 2003 Turner Monumental AMC shootings. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2003 Turner Monumental AME Church Shootings. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible, as we always do. This verse is Proverbs 27, verse 23, and it reads like this. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. So before we jump into this podcast, into this program, we're go- I want to remind you about our special offer this month. It's on behavioral emergencies, and it fits really well with this one here. So make sure you get a copy of it, and it gives you some guidance there on on these types of situations. Not a shooter, but on mental illness and talking to people going through crisis. So let us jump in. What I'd like to start out with is just by saying this is a lot of times when we think about church shootings, we think about like almost like a terrorist activity or a protester or someone to that effect. And we don't often think that a lot of times, a lot of examples are sh- people that attend our congregation. Sometimes it's people within. And a lot of you that are, if you're pastors out there, you know that there are people hurting in your congregation. They're all through the church, people going through financial hardships, people struggling with finances or addictions to alcohol or drugs or going through divorces or having custody issues. Or maybe it's just somebody dealing with an ex that continues to, you know, have they have problems there. So people are hurting inside our congregations and that can create disruption, violence, and in this case, even murder. So let's get into the details of what happened here at the church. On Sunday, October 5th, 2003, a woman in her 40s went early to the Turner Monumental AME Church in in a Kirkwood neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia, to talk with the pastor. His name is Reverend Reynolds. After Sunday school, she and her mother, who was 67 years old, went into the sanctuary to prepare the communion table. The pastor who, pastor who had just finished teaching his class stopped by the table to speak with the women. As he moved on, the woman pulled a 44 caliber pistol out of her purse and shot the pastor in the back. She then shot her mother in the head. Um, her final act was killing herself. With no suicide note, the question remains, what, was, what made her go off, become a murderer? Well, she was a troubled soul. The woman had been released not long before from a mental hospital. More recently, she had lost her job. People who knew her said that she was unstable, which usually means that you never know when they're going to go off, um, either with depression or with rage. Um, since we don't have any clarification on statements, we know at least we we at least know that she was institutionalized for a short time. Witnessed, witnesses note that she seemed agitated that morning. 
if it had been because of the loss of job, that might have been what set her off, you know, with her, her mental illness. Um, we have no record of her conversation with the pastor or anything that her mom said. So after this shooting occurred, a lot of churches in the area did come and to support this individual church as it was going through its mourning. And there was a lot of great community support there. And they also, the people did understand that the killer was suffering for mental illness. So, you know, they didn't hold any grudges against the, the rest of the family that she came out of. Um, as of now, we don't know um, if they have any additional safety and security systems in place. And part of that might just be because they want to keep it confidential. And, you know, sometimes the world doesn't need to know what we're doing specifically at our churches. So the lessons learned from this that I really want to focus on is this. It's just going back to our scripture verse for this program. And that is we need to know well the condition of our flocks. People are suffering. People are having a hard time. And we need to, if for no other reason than just our mandate to take care of people and take care of others, we should be doing this. Um, in this case here, people knew that this, this girl was struggling, was having lots of problems. There's a lot of things going on in her life. In the article, Wesley talks about the trouble that her son was involved in. You know, several um, home invasion um, burglaries, and and he was all he was actually killed in one of those in a shootout between him and police. And so, you know, all these things are going on, yet nobody suspected that the mother could become violent. And so we have to be paying attention. And one of the things I've been talking about for some time now is we have to be intentional about those that are hurting in the church. We have to be intentional about them. And where this starts is kind of creating a helps ministry, a prayer, a kind of a blending, if you will, of helps and prayer and benevolence. And the reason we have to do that is not only, like I said, it's probably our mandate to do so, but also it creates a safer environment. To give you kind of an example is this. If somebody in your church is going through a really hard financial time and we simply say, um, yeah, we'll be praying for you, well, that's all in good, but that doesn't actually, well, I want to say this carefully. We need to provide real help to people in the church. We have to provide real help. And so if somebody's lost their job, you know, maybe it's taking a collection for them and maybe it's connecting them to social services and maybe it includes going to the, you know, the food, local food shelf to get them groceries. You know, there's all kinds of things. Maybe it's helping them fill out a job application. Maybe it's helping the resume. There's all these other real things. If I, I hate to use that term, but I hope you understand what I'm saying here. There are real actions that need to follow up with that prayer. Prayer is good. I believe in prayer. But we have to do more than that. And if we do that, now this person who could have been become a potential disruptive person, this person that may have even become violent or even murderous, we're now taking care of them. And so that's what we have to do. Now to set up a program like this, we need to set up really good communication network in our church. 
So that means staff, volunteers, and guests need to be able to communicate their problems and even the problems of other people to the pastor and their team. And one way I suggest we kind of do that is this, is a lot of churches have prayer teams and they operate you know, in different ways depending on the church that you're at. But I'm really thinking that we need to do two things. Um, if we have an internet presence, do we have a prayer form on there that people can put in there to request prayer? Or maybe they have a card that they can fill out. Maybe it's part of the, maybe it's in the, you know, um, in the brochure, if you hand out brochures. Maybe it's something that's, you know, behind every, you know, behind, in front of every chair, you know, on the back of chairs or pews or whatever you have. A prayer card and expanding it to include not only a prayer request, but also maybe it's benevolence request or maybe it's a helps request. Um, the church I used to go, go to, it had a group of men that basically would use their skills and their talents to support people that were hurting. So an example would be, you know, maybe it's putting the storm windows in somebody's house, you know, at the beginning of the year. Or maybe it was yard work. You know, we had a mechanic on the team, and if somebody that was struggling and they needed work on their car, he would provide it for free. Um, I think about my wife, not to brag on my wife, but she used to own a housekeeping business. And when somebody was struggling, when different women had cancer, it happened about two, maybe three times, and while they were going through the worst part of their treatment, um, my wife was at their house help cleaning the house once a week, you know, just to help them out a little bit. You know, I know a lot of churches, you know, somebody's in the hospital and and all the all the tuna casseroles and pot roasts and all that kind of stuff start showing up at that person's house just so they don't have to worry about cooking. There's a lot of things that we can do, a lot of things we do do. I'm just suggesting we blend all those things together. So that's step one, bringing all those things together. And so an intentional prayer cards. And what you, then once you have those cards, once you have those requests, we can't be siloed. So in a lot of churches, they have that prayer, right? Well, if it just goes to the prayer team and they keep that card or they keep that person on a list, we have to go further, right? It needs to go on. So maybe the card, you know, is given to the prayer team and then it goes to your helps or services team or if you got somebody in benevolence and then then ultimately it ends up in the pastor's hands for follow-up. Because a pastor is in the position and, quite frankly, responsible to ensure that his flock is being taken care of. So he or she, he, gets the card. Hey, prayer team's got it. They're praying. Hey, this group, you know, our helps team, our service team, or whoever this group of people that actually help people, you know, they know about it. And they have a plan to help this person. So the plaster kind of sees over, you know, over watches all of that. And then maybe even does a follow-up with the person to get with them and say, hey, we're praying for you. You know, we'd like to help you. Can we... Can we have these people come over and, you know, help you with your car or help you do this or help you do that? Or maybe we can get you in contact with stuff. And then if that's all we did right there, if that's all we did in our churches, we would, we would lower and reduce the risks of any type of this situation. The next part of it, which I highly recommend, is that now once all this stuff is going on, 
the safety team, the safety ministry needs to be told, informed about the situation. Now, I know privacy is a big issue, and there is a way of communicating with the safety team without giving every single detail. And it could be simply this. Hey, a person in our congregation is going through a divorce. There's been violence in the past, and they attend on a regular basis, you know, maybe the, you know, the first service or the second service or whatever it is. Um, they also attend, you know, Wednesday nights, whatever. And so that way the team doesn't know, know who it is. They don't have to know, necessarily know who it is. But they have that information that they can be, they can act on. They can, you know, heighten up their their awareness, if you will. And this kind of information should be passed on on a weekly basis. And really, it's probably going to be up to you as the safety team member or the safety director to actually go to the pastor. Anything else I need to know about? And pastor, I'm like, nope, there's nothing right now. Or it's a, are we still, you know, worried? Or are we still alert, heightened alert? because of this other thing or has it been resolved? And that can be where that conversation is. Now, the other thing is this, is with permission, pastors can share information, right? You'll probably see this a lot with domestics, where it's like, my husband's abusive and I come to church, but he doesn't. Um, But I want you to be aware that he's out there so the safety team can be watching for him. Now we can get a whole lot, you know, a lot more of those details, you know, like what does he drive, you know, what does he look like, you know, can we get him trespass warned from the church, you know, like you can kind of throw your plan into place, but get as many details as possible. The other thing, and this is a question now for pastors, and it this is an ethics question, and I don't know the answer to this. I just know that you as the pastor have to decide this in your own heart and mind. And and my question for you is this, is there any point where the safety of your congregation outweighs the importance of pastoral confidentiality? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that you you have a huge ethical dilemma ahead of you in the sense that, you know, you could maintain pastoral confidentiality and you maintain it so well that a shooter comes into your church and kills half your congregation. Now, I don't know how well you're going to be able to sleep after that when you knew that there was a threat out there and you took no steps to protect your flock. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I would definitely encourage all pastors to really prayerfully consider this. Where's the line? If there, if there is a line, and if there is a line, where is it? You need to make this decision. Um, just keep in mind, people are relying on you, and the security team, the safety team, is there to support you and your ministry to your congregations. So kind of our conclusion here is this. We need to do a little bit better job in our churches to ensure that we're being intentional about helping people that are hurting. That, number one, is going to reduce any sort of violent risk or even disruptive risk to the church. And when possible, communicate that to the safety team so they can be at heightened alert level or actually be looking out for any potentially violent people. 
So before I let you go, I do want to remind you a lot of this is covered in our De-Escalating Disruptive People. That's kind of the course we're pushing this month. It's about verbal persuasion techniques in order to, to talk someone down or keep them from becoming violent in the church. So it covers what is verbal de-escalation, engaging a subject, verbal strategies at work, maintaining personal control, um, issuing verbal commands. And it's also part, it's one of the modules in our safety member certification. So either way, I really encourage you to take that. So finally, if you like this video, I'm going to encourage you in a little moment, our little logo is going to come up. Click on the logo, hit subscribe, hit the notification. And that way, when the videos come out, you can, you know, you get notified, you know it's there and you can watch it. So other than that, thank you so much for joining us today. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.